0: Hey, it's Matt Pittman. So, Bay Current has taken a little bit of a break the past couple weeks, but we've been hard at work on a couple other projects here at KCBS Radio I want to share with you. One is the follow-up series to The Sausage King. Natalia Gorevich has been hard at work on Season 2. Now, I can't dive into too much right now. We're still working on a lot of the elements and episodes. But in Season 2, Natalia explores the still unsolved murder of one of the Bay Area's most prominent, richest, and polarizing historical figures. We'll share a little bit more in the weeks to come, and it'll be out in December. If you haven't already, subscribe to The Sausage King. That's where you'll find Season 2 in the weeks to come. We've also launched a new podcast called The Home Stretch, hosted by our very own political reporter Doug Sover. It examines the key issues voters will tackle in the upcoming midterm elections. And if you've listened to Bay Current or you're a regular KCBS listener here in the Bay Area, you know Doug. No one is more connected with local and national politics in the Bay than Doug is. And that's what he brings to The Home Stretch, perspective and analysis with guests that cut through all the partisan stuff and deliver just the details and the facts. Here's the latest episode of The Homestretch. Take a listen, then subscribe to The Homestretch on the Odyssey app, Spotify, or wherever you listen. As always, thank you for listening and enjoy.
2: In June, in a special election in Texas in the state's 34th congressional district along the border with Mexico, Republican Myra Flores won 51% of the vote. That made Flores the first Republican to represent the Rio Grande Valley since Reconstruction. Her election continued a recent trend in the region. Over the last six years, Democratic candidates in the Rio Grande Valley have seen their margins shrink. While Republican Donald Trump won Texas and its 36 electoral votes in 2016, Democrat Hillary Clinton carried most of the counties along the border by more than 20 percentage points. Four years later, Joe Biden's margins in those counties were smaller than Clinton's. Trump even flipped one of the border counties. The population in the Rio Grande Valley is more than 90% Latino, according to the 2020 census. I'm Doug Sovereign, and on this third episode of The Homestretch, our new political podcast from Odyssey, we head to the Lone Star State to zero in on a trend that's accelerated in recent elections. Latino voters once considered reliably Democratic have started to shift to the right. This week, we visit with Christine Balaños, communications director for JOLT, a progressive organization in Texas focused on increasing influence among young Latinos.
1: For the most recent census results, Latinos are officially the largest growing population in the United States, and that cannot be understated.
2: Is there a sense in Texas that the Democrats take Latinos for granted? I mean, it sounds like the GOP is trying to exploit that opportunity and really narrowcast their message to each segment as opposed to seeing Latinos as this one thing.
1: Yeah, I think if there's anything that the 2016 election taught us was that the Democratic Party, not just in Texas, but across America, had really taken the Latino vote for granted.
2: In 2020, 59% of Latino voters nationwide cast their ballots for Biden, according to the Pew Research Center. But that was down from 66% for Hillary Clinton in 2016 and 71% for Barack Obama in 2012. However, 72% said they voted for Democratic candidates in the 2018 midterms
1: there is power in the latino voice there is power in the latino vote but the challenge that our democratic process whether it's candidates or different political parties or organizations like ours in the civic engagement space come across is that we are not a monolith and so traditionally i think the messaging the narrative has really come across in a way that tries to interact reach out and connect with the latino community as if they were a monolith even though they're not and that's very problematic
2: Republican strategist Tim Rosales told Odyssey's KNX News in Los Angeles in June that it would be a mistake for either party to assume they have anybody's vote in hand.
0: I think that any party that takes a particular group for granted does it to their own detriment. To the extent I think that the Democratic Party does nationally and here in California, I think they are misreading the tea leaves. There have been, over the years, I think, a trend as Latino voters, particularly, get further away from, let's say, their country of origin. If you've got a Mexican immigrant who is three generations now in, in the U.S. or two generations in the U.S., those voters look more and more like just voters at large.
2: If you look at the latest registration numbers, I mean, Latinos are still twice as likely to be Democrats as Republicans. But as you say, they're not monolithic any more than any other demographic is, no matter how people perceive them. And there's been a shift in how they actually vote. I mean, the GOP has been making inroads in recent years. Why do you think that's happening?
1: So in all honesty, I think that the messaging coming from the Republican Party is stronger. They tend to focus more on the issues that matter to everyday Texans, everyday Latinos. Right now, a big priority is the economy, ensuring that we have good jobs. So, for example, Latinos in South Texas, a lot of them work at oil rigs. They work in those type of businesses that the climate change narrative can sound threatening to their very livelihoods. And so the Democratic Party needs to be a lot more strategic about what issues it decides are going to be their platforms
2: each election cycle, right? Bolaño says for all the remote work that's emerged during the pandemic, many voters in South Texas are still going to work in person in areas that stand to be hit hard by shifts in energy policy.
1: So when they hear those narratives of good, green, clean jobs, they hear, oh, I'm going to lose my job. Why would I vote for a candidate or why would I support a party, you know, that doesn't prioritize me and my family? And so I think it all comes down to messaging. We've come across at least a couple of studies that have shown that nearly 80 percent of Texans support reproductive rights and Latinos are right up there about 78, 79 percent support. So the Latino outlook is actually very in line with the majority of Texans. But when you look at our votes and who we elect into office, it doesn't reflect the statistics. Something is happening there, and it's not in our belief system. It's in the way that our parties and our candidates are reaching out to
2: those people. Jolt, the group that Bolaños works for, endorsed Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke in the Texas gubernatorial race.
1: Earlier, this cycle has been very successful, very strategic in ensuring that he has visited all 254 Texas counties to make sure he is on the ground having those conversations with everyday Texans they really let Texans kind of steer the conversation, right? Maybe they want to talk about voter access issues. Maybe they want to talk reproductive rights. Maybe they want to talk about climate change. Again, we've just really let our audience direct the conversation versus putting ourselves kind of on a pedestal and being arrogant and thinking we know what that narrative is, which I think is kind of the trap that the Democratic Party has fallen into. You have to pivot and you have to adapt to changing times. And I think that's where maybe The Republican Party has surpassed the Democratic Party right now.
2: And despite, you know, the deeply held religious beliefs of some, you know, many most strongly favor protecting abortion rights. How has what's happened in Texas with the strict new abortion law there affected this election cycle? Do you think that's going to help drive a lot more Latinos to the polls in November in Texas?
1: I think that it'll drive young Latinos to the voting booth in greater numbers than it ever has before, for sure. I can't say that that's going to be the truth for some older Latinos. And by older, I mean anyone Gen X and older. As far as how that's going to translate into election turnout, we have to wait and see. I do think we'll see a higher number of young people voting and all those young people who are voting, a good number of them will turn out in great part because they feel their reproductive rights are being threatened.
2: Do you think we can look to Texas as a reflection of broader Latino voting trends across the country? Or do you think Texas has its own unique ecosystem?
1: That's a very interesting question because I think it goes both ways to a certain extent. And the reason I say that is because many times what starts here in Texas has a domino effect across all of our conservative states, especially down south, right? When it came to voting rights, when it came to reproductive rights, we were the first ones to try to pass very totalitarian-like legislation. And once our neighboring states saw that those were successful, then they tried their own curation of whatever that legislation was. And that's a very scary thing, because what that means is that Texas is incredibly powerful in kind of setting the path for our political future.
2: For those of us who do pay attention, we've seen how the state has gotten tighter and tighter. And there's this perception that in you know the not-too-distant future, Texas may become a blue state because of the growing number of Latino Democrats there. Are the Democrats changing enough that Beto O'Rourke, still running uphill against Greg Abbott, that he may have a chance to pull off a surprise in that race? Or are we still a couple years away from Democrats regaining statewide power and maybe turning the state blue in the presidential?
1: I think that until more civic engagement organizations and more political campaigns adapt our sort of groundbreaking strategy for reaching Latinos, which goes back to our one-of-a-kind culturally relevant voter registration program, our Get Out the Vote campaign, our leadership programming, we won't be at a point where we need to be at to really shift it completely. I think we're going to be borderline for a few years to come. That being said, I do think that Beto has a real shot at winning, more so than he did for his previous races. And I think that a lot of that are because of issues that have stemmed during these last few years that Governor Greg Abbott has been in office. For example, I'm sure you know about our catastrophic winter storm back in February 2021.
0: And as this historic winter storm continues, hundreds of thousands of North Texans are still in the dark. You know, we
1: had well over 200 people pass away. Many businesses and homes were without power and water for days. I myself had a newborn and it was an incredibly scary time for us. I still remember where we were trying to rough it out at home with no power, no water. And by the second night, our daughter's lips had started turning blue from the cold. We were not keeping him warm enough in spite of having warm blankets, having candles, whatever we could do to stay warm. I think another key issue right now, again, going back to reproductive rights, Texas generally feels very human rights, their right to live with dignity is being threatened. And so when you feel threatened to that extent, you feel more drawn to go out and vote because you feel it is your civic duty, not just for yourself and your family, but for your community and future generations. So I think those two things combined will be very key to potentially seeing an upstream in voter turnout.
2: What are the biggest obstacles to getting Latino voters to the polls in Texas and what's being done to address that?
1: I think one of the biggest issues is that, again, it goes back to not meeting Latino voters where they're at. Because they're not a monolith, we're not a monolith because I'm part of the Latino community. We might not be able to connect with them and reach them in the same places where we would reach other voters from other demographics, whether it's age, religion, ethnicity or political stance. What Jolt does differently is that you will find our organizers knocking on doors of neighborhoods that have never been knocked on before. And we're very intentional about knocking on doors of Texans who have either never voted or have only voted once. Maybe it's been a while since they voted. So we're knocking on those doors first to find out, why have you stopped voting? What can we do to help you gain trust in our democratic process again? And then register them to vote. So that's one thing. Another thing is just meeting them where they're at. You'll see that some younger political candidates are very radical, really, about how they run their campaigns. And what I mean by that is you find them at places that some more traditional campaigns would have never even thought of.
2: Despite all of Jolt's grassroots efforts, in September, a Dallas Morning News UT Tyler poll of registered voters gave Governor Abbott a nine-point lead over Beto O'Rourke. In the statewide races for lieutenant governor and attorney general, The incumbent Republicans were also ahead by 11 and 7 points, respectively.
1: This is very much an investment for Texas's future, and we're not going to see it from this election to the next even. This is kind of to set the framework, the groundwork for years to come. The idea being if we get young Latinos invested in the civic engagement process and we get their buy-in now, then we have their buy-in for life, especially when it comes to our female-identifying Latinos, because study after study has shown that the matriarch of families tend to make important decisions for the entire family and all family members tend to follow suit. For example, it's been found that the matriarch of Latino families decide where to go grocery shopping and what grocery items are essential to buy. The same thing goes with voting. It's believed that if we get the buying of the matriarch to vote, then we get their entire family because they set that example. They instill that priority in their own family members who then pass it on as they grow and start their own families.
2: As the Latino population in the U.S. continues to grow, it's important for children to see Latinas represented in Congress. Mildred Otero, with Leadership for Educational Equity, told News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas-Fort Worth.
1: When they see Latinas in high positions, in positions of leadership, in positions of influence, they see themselves and they understand that it is possible. So I think that is a super important piece of it. But also it changes the conversation. You know, I worked on Capitol Hill for many years, and there was a recent article about the lack of representation on Capitol Hill. And I can speak to that from my own personal experience.
2: In redistricting, the district that Republican Myra Flores now represents was redrawn. Now it includes the area represented by Democrat Vicente Gonzalez, setting up a showdown between the two incumbents in November. The newly drawn district is more heavily Democratic, but the Cook Political Report rates the race a toss-up. I'm Doug Sovereign, and thanks for listening to this episode of our new podcast, The Home Stretch. Every Thursday from now until the midterms in November, we'll drop a new episode focused on the most watched issues of this election cycle. Next week, we'll take a look at how rising crime could affect these elections. And don't forget to listen to our first two episodes covering inflation and abortion. Please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe so the next episode is waiting for you as soon as it's released. This episode was produced by Lauren Barry and Cooper Mall, writing by Chris Blake, sound design by Zach Clark.